0: Hey, Stone Creek, my name is Ryan Rohan and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I haven't met many of you in person, but when I have, you all say, yeah, I know you. I see you on TV. Man, these are such weird times. I'm so excited to be hanging out with you today. I really believe Jesus is gonna show up in our time together. You ready for it? Let's go. In late December 1992, the Stolpas departed Castro Valley, headed for a family funeral in Ponticallo, Idaho. Severe snowstorms had closed Donner Pass, thwarting their plan to drive Interstate 80 east. James, a 21-year-old Marine private, and his 20-year-old wife, Jennifer, changed their itinerary without telling anyone and chose to take an unmaintained secondary road. Ultimately, their pickup bogged down in snow about 150 miles north of Reno near the state border. They spent four days shivering in their truck hoping for rescue, but no one came. No one knew they were there. Each night, temperatures slid below zero, and their only food was a fruitcake, some cookies, and a bag of corn chips. After five days, honkered down in the truck, they trudged 12 miles through waist deep drifts until the road disappeared into rugged wilderness. They were forced to turn around. They were demoralized, but they weren't defeated. They struggled through the snow for another 28 hours, and when Jennifer complained that she had tried to walk, James urged her on. We're not doing it for us, he said. We're doing it for the baby. Luckily, James spotted a small, shallow cave in the side of a cliff, and they snuggled in for protection. James built a small fire using bits of sagebrush and paper from Clayton's diaper bag, but the warming flames didn't last long, and they spent another frigid night in the wilderness. The following day, James left most of the remaining food and the sleeping bag for Jennifer and the baby, and they headed back to the truck. Before long, the snow, cold temperatures, and the lack of food and rest began to take a toll on him. For 18 hours, he struggled along with howling coyotes stalking him, but the desperate father was focused on his family alone in the cave. He finally reached the relative safety of the truck after nightfall. The next morning, He followed his truck's tires west toward the remote ghost town of Vaya, Nevada, 10 miles from the California border. He pushed on for nearly 30 hours, covering more than 40 miles with little food and no water. It was an amazing feat of courage and stamina. The disciplined army private rested by taking five minute catnaps every hour. When he felt too exhausted to go on, he repeated this mantra, I have to make it. I have to make it so they can make it. Eight days had passed since their their trucks got stuck in the snowdrift. A region-wide search had turned up nothing. No one knew which route they had taken. And finally, on January 6th, James was spotted stumbling along by David Peterson, a Washoe County road supervisor. When Peterson pulled up, James Stolpa yanked open the door and gave the man a big handshake. James was covered with snow. His hands and feet were frozen, but he had made it. Stolpa had hiked between 50 and 60 miles throughout the stowbound bound desert. Temperatures had ranged from four degrees below to 42 above. He had survived an incredible ordeal. Peterson quickly drove Stolpa to his house where his wife Ruth tried to thaw James' feet. James made it. He was rescued. We've been walking through a book in the Bible called Second Timothy. This book is written by a guy named Paul to a man named Timothy. Paul was a rock star believer. It seemed like he had been through it all, unbeliever to believer, skeptic to sage, murderer to man on mission. You can read all about his epic rescue scene in Acts chapter nine. Paul was wandering around. He was on the way to murder Christians and Jesus met him in the middle of the road, blinded him, but saved his soul. Paul knew what it was like to be lost and then found, but he didn't stop at found. He wasn't just okay with Jesus saving him. Paul had a mission to rescue everyone around him. Christians, look right at me. Have you stopped at found? Jesus rescued you. Jesus gave you hope and a purpose. You were once lost, but then you were found. Jesus, have you stopped at found? Can I pray with you? Jesus, I pray that you be with us today. I pray, Jesus, that you'll interact with our souls, that you'll collide with our hearts, that, Jesus, you'll, you'll reveal something new about you, your character. I pray, Jesus, that you will, you'll place us on mission. I pray, Jesus, we will view the church differently after today. Jesus, I thank you for the church. I thank you for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the middle of a series called The Church Has Left the Building. Like, literally, we can't meet in the building right now. So, so that's why I'm out, uh, outside, outside in a neighborhood common area. Maybe some of you live over there. Look out your window real quick. Can you see me? <laughs> you have left the church building. You were sitting in your living rooms, screened in porches in your neighborhoods, and I'm right here with you. This has been a challenging series. The church isn't just a building, it's a group of believers, and you are part of it. We can't just go to church Like, we really can't go to church right now. And you and I, we have to be the church. But that's a massive commitment. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Before we jump in, I want to give us some context. Paul is in a jail cell. Most scholars believe these words are some of the last words Paul wrote before he was executed. He was on his deathbed. Paul desperately penned these words before he took his last breath. And this is what he says to Timothy. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul didn't want the church to die when he died. Hey, and we don't want the church to die because we can't meet in a building right now. In his last days, Paul looked to Timothy to continue the mission. Jesus had given him and given to the church. I charge you, Paul says, preach the word of God. Hey, when is the last time you preached the word of God? I don't need to preach. I come to church and I listen to a preacher. I, I get it. It's scary. What if you say the wrong thing? What happens if, if someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer to it? But, but notice what Paul says. He told Timothy to preach first, not teach first. There's no teaching here. Just a proclamation for people to turn their lives around. The emphasis isn't on explaining things, but in speaking the word of God. Paul wanted Timothy to proclaim God's word. Speak it out. So many of us do neither because we don't think we can teach. Hey, start with preach What would happen if we didn't rely on the church building to be the place where preachers preached? What if you became a preacher? What would happen if you left the church and began to speak truth to your neighbors or even to your family? Could you even do that? Do you do that? Paul isn't asking us to do something that's extremely difficult. Preach the word of God. Question, do you even know the word of God? You can't preach what you don't know. Preaching the word kind of sounds like a street preacher, doesn't it? You've seen these guys, haven't you? Bourbon Street in New Orleans on a college campus screaming at people, telling them they're evil all while reciting scripture. It doesn't feel like the right move to me. So, So let's try to be a preacher right now. I'm gonna teach you how to preach. If you're watching on Facebook, press the share button real quick and just write this in your post but God shows his love for us and that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. You can copy and paste it from the comment section below. I'm gonna wait a second. Did you do it? <laughs> you just preached. And now let's watch and see what friends begin to watch with you. Who knows what Jesus can do through you? Let's get it, preacher. Preacher. <laughs> But Ryan, Paul isn't telling me to preach. He's just telling you, Joey, Stephen to preach. False. We're all called to know the word of God and to preach the word of God. The church has left the building. We can't come to church and hear a preacher right now. Why is this so important though? Why are we called to preach the word? What is so important about the word of God? Look at me. The word of God is the breath of God. You just have to go back three verses to chapter three, and Paul says that all scripture is God breathe. The same word "breathe" is used in Genesis 2, seven, when it says the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Did you catch it? Adam was just a pile of dust until God breathed life into him. Without the breath of God, Adam would just be skin and bones, completely lifeless. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you don't have meaning or purpose? Do you feel like you're just taking up space? Does life excite you or are you just bored with life? The only way Adam could be alive and feel alive is through the breath of God. Why do people run to drugs? Why do some people cut and self-harm? Well, we do these things because we wanna feel alive. We wanna engage our senses and we wanna be filled with excitement. Am I right? If you wanna feel alive right now, breathe in the breath of God. And the church has left the building and we cannot come back the same. What if we use this time, this season to fall more in love with God's word? With all the fake news, with all the despair, with, what if the word of God allowed us to feel more alive now than ever? Having three kids under five is pretty stressful. Carly is one and she's putting everything in her mouth. I keep having to use the two-finger mouth swipe method to make sure she doesn't choke. Bath time is chaos. I have to make sure all three kids don't drown each other. Bradley is almost three. I have to give him meals and stages. If I don't, he will try and cram all his food in his mouth at one time. Riley is five. She's learning to swim, but she actually thinks she's a real mermaid. She feels like she has mastered the art of swimming without floaties. I'm not quite convinced yet. If you wanna follow our chaos, just follow me on Instagram and watch me and my wife, Ashley, try and keep our kids alive for the next several years. Early on, I took a CPR class that focused on baby CPR. I wanted to be prepared if my kids ever got injured. I learned something in that class that changed my perspective immediately. My instructor, instructor told me that choking isn't the scariest thing that can happen. If Riley struggles to swim and if she takes in a big gulp of water, that, that's okay. It gets scary when people stop breathing. He looked right at me and said, the only thing that might save your kid's life one day is the breath of their father. Church, look right at me. Are you dying? Is your marriage dying? Are you losing hope? Are you slowly giving up on life, on the Bible, on Jesus? Can we all just be still and let our Father God rescue us? And let the breath of God resuscitate you back to life. Are you feeling okay? I hope you and I can have more confidence that Jesus can bring us back to life. Paul continues in verse three. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The time is here. People are scattered all over the place and nobody knows what to believe. What is truth? What is religion? But the Bible says their ears will itch You may think your uncle, your brother, your aunt, or grandmother has given up on faith, but the itch isn't going away. Your neighbor might make you think that he has given up on God, but as he walks back into his house, his mind begins to wander. And an itch doesn't go away until it's scratched. Those far from Jesus will find a solution to their problem. Do you think we can help them find it? Most people believe there is more to life than just taking up space. Most people believe there is something here bigger than themselves. If we don't give them the answers, someone else will. They will find teachers that will fulfill their itch for deeper meaning. There will be a day when your son gives up, your daughter throws in the towel, your neighbor becomes completely apathetic, and they will all begin to wander off into myths, fairy tales, make-believe. But then Paul tells us what to do. He says, as for you, Timothy, put your name in there. As for you, Brandon, as for you, Rachel, as for you, Sarah, as for you, Michael, as for you, be sober-minded, don't lose your mind, stay focused, don't chase after things that don't matter, don't get carried away with things that only last this lifetime, continue to endure, don't give up, life is hard, following Jesus can be difficult, press on. And then he says this, hey, do the work of an evangelist. Evangelist, a person that seeks to convert others to the Christian faith, especially by public preaching. Preaching, not teaching. Jesus calls all of us to be an evangelist. We are all called to tell people about Jesus. We should all care about people leaving their old life, beginning to follow Jesus, raising their hand for the first time. Do you do the work of an evangelist? Have you ever told someone about Jesus? When was the last time you told someone who didn't believe in Jesus about the hope that he brings? I didn't grow up going to church, but when I did give my life to Jesus when I was 13, I was all in. Four months after I I made the decision to follow Jesus, I hopped on a plane to Jamaica to tell other people about him. I didn't know much, but I knew a few Bible verses and I had my story. I, I followed my mentor Tim around and watched him become an evangelist. He spoke, he shared, then he prayed for people as they surrendered their life to Jesus. I was blown away. These people, in a different country, 1,000 miles away from me, fell in love with the same Jesus I fell in love with a couple months before. I fell more in love with Jesus when I left the church building. I saw his power more when I was away from the four walls. When we got back home, I called Tim and I asked him to take me to Town Center Mall in Kennesaw. I wanted to tell more people about Jesus. I walked up to the first guy, rejected. Second guy, ignored. Third person, a woman in her 30s, right outside the coffee shop on the second floor. Excuse me, can I ask you a few questions? She stopped and she looked at me in my eyes. Hey, I'm not really great at this, I said. And I know this is going to sound weird, but I just surrendered my life to Jesus a few months ago and it has been the best decision of my life. Before I was alone, I felt abandoned, given up on, but then Jesus rescued me. He found me. He was taken, uh, he he has taken me in and I am forever his. Could you imagine those words coming from a 13-year-old eighth grade boy? And then I began to tell her some scripture in the book of Romans. The Romans road, they call it. And I told her, I feel more loved now than ever. Romans 5 8 says this, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, Jesus loves you. He wants to rescue you. Do you want to be rescued? I stopped, (laughs) took a breath, silence. And then she nodded her head yes. I asked if I could pray with her. We prayed together. With tears in her eyes, she looked at me and said, thank you, I was in complete shock. How the heck did this work? Looking back, I see it clearly. The breath of God resuscitated her back to life. Early on in my relationship with Jesus, I saw Jesus deliver in huge ways. Maybe you struggle with having confidence in Jesus because you've never given him the opportunity to show off. Sure. He doesn't need your help to show off, but he desperately wants you to be a part of it. Because if you're anything like me, if you become a part of seeing the power of God in your own life and through you, your confidence will grow in Jesus. Maybe just coming to church isn't working for you. Maybe just watching online isn't doing it for you. Leave the church, leave the building, leave your couch, go across the street, have a quarantine coffee, and watch Jesus show up even more in your life. Mission trips might not be your thing. Going to the mall and randomly stopping someone might be for someone else, but Paul says this, fulfill your ministry. What's your ministry? Do you have one? So often we pervert the word ministry. I think I'm called into the ministry. We have student ministry and children's ministry, ministry for the shut-ins. People have developed ministries for everything, but what is yours? Do you have one? How do you even know what your ministry is? What are you doing right now to make Jesus famous? Maybe your ministry is babysitting your grandkids twice a week so both, your, both, your, both their parents can work. Maybe your ministry is writing thank you cards to frontline workers. Maybe your ministry is raising your kids. What is Jesus calling you to do? Second question, is it fulfilled? Have you completed it? Don't give up on what Jesus is calling you to do. Don't believe the lie that you aren't doing enough. Just do something and fulfill it. Complete it. Finish it. You don't have to quit your job, become a missionary, and move across the world, but choose to do something. And then Paul says this in verse six. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When I get to the end of my life, I wanna leave it all on the field. And the field isn't the church. The field is your home, your office, your apartment complex, your neighborhood. The parents of your kid's soccer team, your poker buddies, no regrets. YOLO, I want to be empty. I wanna look back and say, I've given it my all. I fought until the end. I finished the race. I never gave up. I kept the faith. I didn't just go to church. I was the church. Remember the story of James Stolpa? He and his family were trapped in the snow. He could have given up. He could have raised the white flag, but he didn't. Why? Because he knew if he gave up, his wife and son would die. The only hope they had was for him to give it his all. Once James was rescued, another rescue mission immediately started. James provided detailed information and rescuers soon found the mother and child alive in the cave with little food and no water. When Jennifer heard the sound of vehicles approaching, she realized her husband had made it. I get it. You might want to give up. You feel trapped, lost, frustrated and amazed but if you give up people around you will not have the opportunity to have the life-altering hope that you have being the church is a massive commitment but if we give up people will not be found all around us Your neighbors neighbors will continue to be lost. Your mom will continue to be lost. Your coworkers will have no hope. You are the cure. You are the hope. You are the church. Become a preacher. Scratch the ears that are itching all around you. Allow the breath of God to breathe life in you and others. Fulfill your ministry. The church has left the building. So often we think we all view church as a place to go. You've heard the saying, right? The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for the saints. <laughs> My uncle just recently got diagnosed with cancer. Stay strong, Ronnie. And he's sick. He's afraid. He's experiencing something he has never experienced before. He doesn't just need me, our family, or his friends, or his neighbors just to, to just tell him where the doctor is. Hey, go there and you'll get better. Physically, he is barely able to go. Emotionally, no way. He doesn't just need an invite. He needs to be picked up. He needs people to sit next to him in the living room as, he's tri- as he tries to process his new normal. He needs something to, someone to drive him an hour to chemo. He needs someone to sit there for four hours as he receives treatment and then drive him an hour home. Man, I beg you, leave the church. Leave this building. Be the church to the hurting people all around you and I guarantee one of your neighbors is going through something massive in their life right now. In the last three months, my neighbor, Miss Mary, who lives across the street, lost her mother. My kids were able to bring Miss Mary flowers on Mother's Day. Avon's husband, right up the street, he's a pilot for Delta. He might get laid off. Steven in the cul-de-sac just saw his dad for the first time in 10 years, and Tom and Kim right next door to me, they just had a major breakthrough in their family. Your neighbors need you. Our world is in the midst of massive tragedy and division. Invite a family over that looks different than you and just ask them, hey, how are you doing? I wanna hear what you and your family are going through right now. There's a couple that just moved up, up the street a few months ago. I'm inviting them over this week. Church, I'm telling you this for accountability for me. Hey, the church has left the building. Are you gonna come back the same? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this time together. Jesus, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his authenticity as he's writing this letter to Timothy. But I pray, Jesus, right now that we can picture Paul writing a letter to us. I pray, Jesus, that we'll take the mission of leaving the church and we actually do something about it. I pray, Jesus, that we become preachers, that we know your word. I pray, Jesus, that we care about people in our neighborhood, in our office complex. I pray, Jesus, that if, if, if being a missionary to our neighborhood is overwhelming, I pray, Jesus, we start in our homes with our wife, with our kids. And I, and I pray, Jesus, for those people who are who are watching this right now and going, holy cow, I, I think I need this man. I, I think I need this savior. I pray, Jesus, that if there's anyone there that wants to receive Jesus, the savior of their life, that they just pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm wandering around, I, I wanna give up. This life is hard. Jesus, will you rescue me? Hey, if you prayed that prayer today as, as a sign of just significance in your own life, just a way that you can take a next step, will you just raise your hand where you are? I, I'm gonna count to three and we're gonna raise our hand. Ready, one, two, three. I'm believing people are raising their hands all over the United States and the world. Hey, church, one last thing. Don't let another week go by where you waste your influence, where you waste the rescue mission God has given you. Invite someone over this week, break some bread with them, grill out on your back porch. The church has left the building. See you guys next week.